Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back for a bonus episode this week of the Art of Charm podcast, a show designed to help you win at work, love, and life. Now, we know you have what it takes to reach your full potential, and that's why every week we share with you interviews and strategies to help you develop the right social skills and mindsets to succeed. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than extraordinary. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. Now, if you have not checked out this month's Toolbox episode on emotional bids and deepening connections, well, what are you waiting for? Pause this episode, go ahead and download that Toolbox episode and the free resource at theartofcharm.com slash bids. Now, thank you everyone for tuning in. Let's kick off today's interview. Matthew is an internationally recognized consultant, speaker, and serial entrepreneur with over five multi-million dollar business success stories. But what Matthew realized was that it was exactly the fact that he was very introverted that actually allowed him to succeed. So we're super excited to talk with him about becoming a rock star introvert. And now, if you're an extrovert listening to this, don't hit skip just yet. There's a lot of great networking tips in here for you as well. Matthew Pollard, thank you for coming on the show. We have your new book out called The Edge, and it's an introvert's guide to networking. So Matthew Pollard... Can introverts network? <laughs> well, actually, I will say that introverts actually make the best networkers. And by the way, this shouldn't surprise people. I know that this is ridiculous for us to say, oh, introverts make amazing networkers. Oh, well, I never knew that. Well, hang on a second. Ivan Meisner, the founder of BNI, which is the world's largest networking group, 10,000 membership groups across the globe, he's an introvert. So why is it that we have in our head, we can't do it? It's this fallacy of that you have to have gift of gab. Now, sure, extroverts have some advantages if they haven't done any planning and they just go in and wing it. Introverts cannot do that. But with the right planning, the right preparation, the right strategy, introverts do amazingly well at networking. And not only do they foster incredibly great deep connections with a small number of people, they can actually foster strong relationships with a wide group of people as long as they go in with a plan, not avoid thinking about the fact that they have to network until they're in the room and go, oh my gosh, who am I going to talk to? And then hold on to the first person they see. That's a failing strategy. That's what most introverted networkers do, but it's not the way to succeed. And it's definitely not the way to be the best at it. And Matthew, do you consider yourself as an introvert? And how did this book come about? Yeah, so I, I am definitely an introvert. And I think we need to redefine that because quite frequently I get asked the question, Matt, 
There's no way that you're an introvert. You're up on you know, podcasts all the time, you're on stage all the time. I'm like, look, introvert doesn't mean that you're a troll under a bridge saying, do not talk to me. That is not what introverts behave like. There are so many amazing introverts. And again, let's broaden that. Zig Ziglar, the most well-known sales trainer on the planet, he was an introvert. Bill Murray, the funny guy from Groundhog Day, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, all of these people are introverted. You know, Oprah Winfrey was an introvert. Jerry Seinfeld was an introvert. Why is it that we think that introverts are quiet by nature? Now, sure, there are things like highly sensitive and shy, and that's a whole different conversation. For me, I define introversion, and I, look, don't get me wrong, the psychologists have got a lot of grant money over a long period of time to make it very complicated. But if we simplify it to the absolute base form, it's where you draw your energy from. So myself, when I go to a networking event, I am actually really good at it. I actually enjoy myself like a lot of my clients now do in selling and networking. But like a kid at Disneyland, I can enjoy all the rides, but it doesn't mean I'm not exhausted when I get home. An extrovert is the person that says, I had a great time, let's go out and hang out with more people. That's not me. At the end of a networking event, the end of a speaking event, at the end of this podcast, I'm gonna go put on a hoodie, watch a bit of Netflix and just chill out. And I think, so to answer your question about why I created the book, I mean, the first book, The Introvert's Edge, that focused on sales, you know, for me, I mean, that did 40,000 copies, was translated in more than 10 languages. And a lot of people said, well, Matt, we're closing deals now, but we're not getting enough leads. And while that was probably enough to push me over the line, with my reading speed issues, which I'm sure we'll discuss, you know, for me, writing a book is hard. It was actually this kid in Buffalo, New York that pushed it to the point where I went, you know what, I'm gonna write it now, not wait a few more years. And literally, he picked up this book on how to sell as an introvert from his, co- his coffee table, family coffee table. His dad was a fan of my work. And he said, if Matt can systemize the process of selling as an introvert, I bet you I can systemize the process of making friends at school. Now this is a kid with a hoodie on, looking at his shoes the whole time, never really made any friends. Well, within the space of a month, I mean, he carried around that first book in his arm for that whole month. Within that month though, he started having conversations with the popular kids. He started to be able to call some of those people friends. There was a girl in the picture, the hoodie came off and he's now actually pretty out there and talking to people. It's changed his life. And I just went, you know what? We interviewed this kid. My ghostwriter, Derek Lewis, burst out crying during the interview because of the impact that it had on him. And we went, you know what? We have to write a book on introverted networking because yeah, okay, we, we, we've got a strategy there and we show people the steps to how to do it because introverts without a system were terrible at it. But more than that, more importantly than all of that, to a much more general audience now than just sales. We're telling the world introverts can excel in all so-called extroverted arenas. And I think that's the most important milestone for this book. Well, I think introverts get a bad rap because they have been used as a scapegoat and an excuse for so many people for so long that that idea of being an introvert gets conflated with, well, I can't do that because I'm an introvert. Oh, I I could never do that because I'm an introvert. These people are giving introverts and their abilities a bad name by using them and this idea of what an introvert is as an excuse not to take action. Any thoughts on that? I agree with that totally. And I'm not going to say it's those introverts do it. I do it. I mean, I'm the person that tells everyone, it's like, don't see yourself as a second-class citizen. Your path to success is just different. 
from a leadership perspective. We have to stop saying, oh, little Sarah, she doesn't speak up in management meetings. You know, I'm just gonna catch her out and say, Sarah, what do you think? And oh, she just didn't have a great idea at the time. No, you caught her on the spot. She got stuck in her head. She wasn't prepared. If you had an email to yesterday and said, this is what we're going to be talking about, and I'm going to open up an open discussion about this specific question, and I want you to come in prepared with your answer, Sarah, just like you noticed the following day when she comes up to you and says, oh, I thought about what you asked me, and I've got this great idea, but now it's too late, we'll have that idea ready for you in the meeting. So yes, there are organizations that have to make a ton of adjustment to realize that their introverts are currently not getting the opportunities because leadership doesn't know how to manage them, and because HR is actually sending them the wrong training or making excuses for them that they don't need. They need to be held accountable just like anyone else. But in truth, I like to live in this world where it's all my fault because if it's my fault, I can do something about it. So introverts have got to stop making excuses for themselves because for me, if I had have made excuses and said, oh, my boss isn't paying attention to me, oh, school's tough, I would never be where I am today. So much there to unpack. So let's let's go through it step by step. I think the first part of this is the preparation angle. Whether you're extroverted or introverted, to be successful at networking, you have to be prepared. And I went to a massive networking conference where I made that same mistake, that fallacy of like, oh, that person must be an extrovert, so that's why he's good at networking. And when I sat down to lunch with him and I started picking his brain around his strategy, I realized that the reason he was good at networking was not because he was extroverted. It was because he came incredibly prepared to that event. He knew exactly who he was going to talk about. He knew exactly who he was going to pitch. And he also knew who he was going to connect. And I think many of us go in the room without a plan and we let our anxiety, our shyness, our introversion get the best of us. And we look at the extroverts and we go, oh, well, they're just winning. But they also have a plan. So let's unpack this plan and the strategy so that we can help everyone win. So if you're an extrovert, don't turn off the podcast. Keep listening because these strategies work for both. And that labeling oftentimes puts us at a disadvantage. Absolutely. Well, firstly, I'm going to outwardly say it because you used the word us many times when you were describing introverts there. And AJ, you and I both know you're, you're an introvert yourself, right? So a lot of times these highly successful people don't outwardly say, I'm an introvert on every interview. So because of that, we, we don't believe that we can just like they do. So it's important to first realize that, yes, we, you know, we are introverts and there are other successful introverts just like us. But yeah, for the extroverts that are listening, you have to realize, I mean, and let's think about the most extroverted arena or so-called extroverted arena, sales. I mean, Brian Tracy has been known to say the top 10% of all sales performers have a planned presentation. The bottom 80% just say whatever comes out of their mouth. Well, if you think about who's better at that, obviously the extroverts. But if you think about the people that are better at having a planned presentation, well, that are introverts. And that's why we sit at the bottom and at the very top of all sales performers. Now, if you think about networking, it's no different. And let's just go to really base terms for a second. You think about networking, what does the average introvert do? We say, okay, I don't wanna go networking, I'm definitely never going networking. Oh, I just lost my job, oh, I lost that client, okay, I'm gonna have to go. So we book something in to say, I'm gonna go to this networking event at this time. And then what do we wanna do? We don't wanna think about it. So we put it in our calendar and we try and push it out of our mind. Then we get that 45 minute reminder that we have to leave. 
So we spend the next 45 minutes not preparing, but trying to convince ourselves we don't need to go. Then we begrudgingly say, okay, I have to go. If it's just a virtual, we'll switch on, or if we have to go to that specific location. Then we get there and we're not prepared because we spent no time thinking about it. And then we go up and the first person we speak to sells insurance and we're like, oh gosh, why am I even here? It's such a waste of my time. Well, that's just lack of preparation. I mean, these days especially, I mean, every event has a Facebook page, a LinkedIn page, a LinkedIn group, a meetup.com that has people's LinkedIn profiles connected. So when I go to an event, I will say, firstly, you know, if I'm a PR agent, I'm not gonna go to the local PR agency meetup group because my customers aren't there. So I go, where is my niche market of my ideal customers, which for me is introverted service providers. So I'm going to go where those people tend to hang out. Then before I go, I'm gonna connect to the meetup group page or the Facebook page, look at all the profiles of the people tagged in the photos so that I can connect with people in advance. Because these three people are the people I'm dying to see. Those insurance agents, when I see their face, I gotta make sure I walk the other way to get away from them so I don't spend my whole event talking to the wrong people. One of the main points that you had brought up is the, the story that you are telling yourself to spark that passion, to bring some purpose, to your mission of going out there and networking. Could you speak to that a bit, please? Yeah, sure, and I, I think one of the troubles I always had with passion when people write books on it or when I see people talk about it is like, oh, follow your dream. And look, Jim Carrey's got my favorite quote in the world, which is, you know, he, he won this pretty prestigious award and he was delivering a speech to this group of university uh, kids and he said, my father was a really funny man. He could have been a famous comedian, but he decided to make the safe choice, the practical choice, and become an accountant instead. Many years later, his father lost his job. He was laid off and they had to do what they could to survive. Like Jim Carrey was, you know, a, a, a janitor at his own high school to help the family survive. He said, I learned a great deal from my father, but nothing more important than you can fail at what you don't want. So why not take a chance at what you love? And now that sounds great in theory, but how do you do that practically? Like, how do you not follow the dreams and say, don't worry, family, I promise we'll get to eat one day. It's not the way that you can do things in, in reality. So I went, okay, how do I make passion practical? And in truth, everyone can. We all chose a degree for a reason. We all chose a career for a reason. I mean, our unique experience, our unique upbringing got us to a point where we went, this is what I wanna do. Now, we've been giving insurance agents a bad rap as in meeting them in networking events for quite a while. So let's talk about insurance first. So I'll give you an example. I met with a, a, a guy, um, Nick, Nick Jensen, and, and you know, when I was sitting down with him, he said, Matt, the problem that I have is every time I go networking, I say I'm an insurance agent and their eyes literally explode as they try and work out if they can get away, how quickly they can get away from me. He said, you know, I am passionate about selling insurance, but at the end of the day, if that's how people respond, it's not really going to work. And I said, okay, well, let's tap into that. Why is it that you're passionate? Well, I just really like to help people. Okay, sure you do. But do you like helping people that make $50,000 a year or do you like make helping people that make two fifty? dollars well, obviously 250. Well, why? He said, well, people that you know make 250 can buy more insurance products. And I'm like, that's not really what I'm looking for, Nick. I mean, I know that you, know, you, you wanna probably use that money to support your family, but all they hear is, I really wanna sell you insurance because I wanna buy a Bentley. So because of that, we need to take a step back and think about passion a little bit differently. What about the person that makes 250 now, but they started off poor, they struggled to get into Harvard, they did well at Harvard, they got that C-level executive role, and now they make great money. Or the person that probably didn't even go to Harvard or any major university, but started their own business, they employed a bunch of people, and now they make 250,000 in their own business. Which one of those would you prefer to help? 
And he said, well, obviously the small business owner. I said, why? He said, well, I just feel like they deserve it more. And I'm like, okay, unpack that for me a little bit. And he's like, well, my grandfather owned a farm. He said he'd struggled for years to start this farm and get it going. And, you know, he, it was pride and joy. He just loved it. He said, but as he got into later life, he said, you know, he got ill and he had to sell the farm to pay for medical bills and he couldn't spend all the time working on the farm. He had to let those people go. He said, I watched my grandfather last 10 years of his life literally just fade away in front of the couch. He said, I don't want to wish that on anybody. So, you know, I feel like they deserve a lot more help. I said, okay, so what if we said your niche market was small business owners? And what if we said that you were, on, you were passionate about helping this demographic, the hustlers of this world never get to this uncomfortable retirement like your grandfather had? So what if we called you, when somebody asked you what you did, instead of calling yourself an insurance agent, why don't we say you're the hustle lifeguard? And when they go, what exactly is that? Because people will have a brain aneurysm when you say something like that, because they're like, I can't put you into a box. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. 
And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. If you say that, they'll say, what exactly is that? Then you can talk about your passion and your mission and how you help and then go into a story of your grandfather or someone else that you've helped scave off that huge issue that your grandfather had. Well, everything changed for him. All of a sudden, he started talking about it this way, and people started saying, oh, that's really interesting. I'm not a small business owner, but I love your passion. Do you think you could help me too? So he's even getting people outside his niche that he couldn't get before. So as everyone thinks, oh, well, if I niche down and I message to one group of individuals, I'm actually excluding everyone else. Well, in truth, it's better to be the only logical choice to a small few, but it actually doesn't turn out to be the reality. What actually happens is everyone else tries to grab your passion and say, can I borrow that? I would like to work with you too. So you get the best of both worlds. And a key in all of this is when someone is asking us what we do and asking us to pitch, they actually retain the information. So many of us go to the networking event and we think, oh, well, we have to have our pitch. We have to be armed and ready and we just got to shoot it from the hip. But actually, science shows we only retain the information that we are seeking ourselves. So you're better off leading with intrigue, leading with passion and story and allowing the other person to solicit what it is that you actually do versus the opposite, which is talk about what you do, how you help people, and then hope you can close the deal. And the other part that you you mentioned, I just want to touch on is the sale doesn't happen at the event. So stop worrying so much about I have to be salesy and I have to close the deal. It's the relationship and the relationship gets built when you are intriguing, when you have something more to offer emotionally and that passion rules the day. Well, there are t- there's some important points there. So firstly, yes, I mean, what we experience in most networking events is I say, okay, I'm a business coach. And people go, oh, I don't want coaching. And now I feel like I'm shoving something down someone's throat that they didn't ask for. So by them saying, oh, you're the rapid growth guy. What exactly is that? And then me talking about my passion and mission and then segueing into story, you're right. They have said that they're interested, so they're listening. Secondly, because I know my niche, everything that I say is relevant to their unique situation. And of course it is, because I've looked for them before I came out, I've connected with them, I've walked up with a plan to the right people that I planned to see when I was there, so I know it's relevant to them. But then when I get into story, there's some unique science here that's super helpful, especially for introverts. The first thing that happens is when I move into a story, Everyone's so used to pitching. And the thing that I really struggle with with pitching is you're telling them all this jargon. And for an introvert that tends to be rather technical-minded, often it's like they open up this fire hose of information and the person's just like, oh my gosh, get away from me. Even if they said they were interested, at that point they stop. But by segueing into a story, again, you short-circuit the logical mind, you speak to the emotional mind. If you watch a documentary, you're probably 15 minutes until you're bored. If you watch a movie, three hours in, you're like, oh my gosh, where's the next, when's the next one coming out? Why? Because people gravitate to story. Secondly, when we talk about stories, like when I go up on stage, you know, as an introvert, regardless of how many times and how many thousands of people I've spoken to, when I get up on stage, I'm nervous still. So the first thing I do is say, what a wonderful introduction for somebody from all the way on the other side of the world. What am I going to do to live up to such a wonderful introduction? 
I know, let's talk about Wendy. And then I'll go into a story of Wendy. And as soon as I do that, the studies out of Princeton highlight that what actually happens is it activates our reticular activating system of our brain and it causes our brains to synchronize. We create artificial rapport that then we can generate into real rapport, which again, introverts are great at. But even more importantly, a study out of Stanford shows that we remember up to 22 times more information when we embed it into a story. So firstly, it's our niche. But secondly, we're making it tangible for them. Now, a lot of people hard, find this hard to believe. When I'm speaking from stage, I say, all right, I'm gonna mention three items at random. Who's a volunteer? Okay, chairs, porridge, and beds. You gonna remember those for me? A year from now, I wanna ask you what they are, and I want you to tell me in order. What do you think your chances are? And they're like, no chance. I'm like, tell me the story of Goldilocks and the three bears. Oh my gosh. Why? Because it was embedded into a story, all of a sudden it's so much more memorable. So because of that science, all of a sudden you've got this combination of the concoction of the unified message, I'm the rapid growth guy, I'm interested, I need to put you in a box and I need to figure it out, with all the science behind story, and it, it's like they're almost drunk on everything that they've heard from you, and they're like, oh my gosh, I, I really want what Wendy has, I want what Nick has, how can I work with you? And to your point, AJ, this is where it's critical for you to remember you're at a networking event not selling to someone. I'm so glad you made that distinction because I think that's why a lot of us really dread networking because we don't think about what the mission is going in that room. We think about who's gonna sell to us, who do we have to sell to, how tight is my pitch, when in actuality, going back to the introvert's toolkit of listening, using empathy, and relating to someone through story creates those opportunities to find the champion and to find that person who's gonna elevate you to a larger audience. And then you're not in this hamster wheel of one-on-one, -on -one chasing attention, chasing approval, chasing the sale. Your praises coming from other people are going to be that much more stronger than they could ever be coming from you. And so if you're just pitching everybody, no one's hearing that story. They're not going to be able to remember anything. However, if you give them your mission, you have this, this narrative laid out that sticks in their head, anytime anyone hears a problem and your mission fits that, they're going to be pitching for you. And now all of a sudden you have people chasing you because they have heard how you, about your mission from somebody else. They see you now as the answer to their problems. Now it comes to, I need to get up with Matthew. I need to connect with Matthew. I need to set up a meeting with Matthew uh, because he has the answer to my problems. He has my solution. The one thing that everyone loves to do is to have that passionate friend. So if you come with passion, you will start being introduced to other people you didn't know. Everyone else who's downplaying themselves, who's talking about how their job is boring, they don't wanna talk, they wanna share the passion with others. And if they don't bring it themselves, they'll seek out Matthew, they'll seek out Johnny, and they'll be like, hey, Johnny, you gotta meet this other person. I wanna share this passion. And all of a sudden, you didn't have to do any work. You just actually fit exactly what they were looking for to get out of that event. You know, it's interesting. So when we talk about this, and everyone's like, no, everyone's got passion. I'm like, really? Think of 10 friends that you have that you feel their passion every time you speak to them about their business. Sure, they might be passionate about entrepreneurship. They might be passionate about basketball. But when you think about people that you actually know that are in a business that they run for themselves, that are truly passionate, or in a career where they're truly trying to make a difference, whether it's obtaining customer velocity through customer-centric engagements, or whether they're just 
really passionate about creating quality customer service through well-structured CRM systems, whatever it is. How often do we meet with a friend that's just like, oh my gosh, I'm put on this earth to do this? We just never run into that. So what's interesting, you know, I get I get this happen all the time. You know, I'm, I get people commenting, oh, you, you're, in, you're an introvert, you gotta speak to Matthew Pollard. You're an introvert, you gotta speak to Matthew Pollard. You've gotta speak to the rapid growth guy if you've got a small business and you're struggling to obtain growth. It happens all the time, but here's what's interesting. So I always thought, you know, for me, and this is kind of embarrassing. So for people that don't know my backstory, you know, I, I was a, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader in light high school. I got diagnosed with this thing called Erlen syndrome. For the video listeners, I've got this funny pair of colored lenses. But when I put them on, I miraculously can learn to read. Now, for me, that doesn't mean that I could read like everyone else. I had to hustle through high school, start the process of learning. But literally, I, I graduated high school in the top 20% of my state. I then went, okay, I'm exhausted. I need to spend a year finding myself. I took a job in data entry and went, okay, I'm gonna find myself here for a year. Well, lost my job three weeks in because the company shut down, and now I'm in door-to-door sales. So I taught myself, I mean, my first, my first day was literally 93 doors before my first sale, getting rejected, getting told to re- get a real job. Well, of course, I mean, that was the case. I mean, I had five days product training and not a single second of sales training. And here I was, a scared kid with terrible acne, scared of my own shadow, being used to feeling like the slow kid my whole life. But I taught myself how to sell watching YouTube videos, literally typing in sales system in YouTube and practicing. And I tell people, I spent eight hours out in the field practicing, eight hours back at home learning the next step. And I did that day after day for like six weeks. And then my manager pulls me in and he goes, Matt, you're the number one salesperson in the company. Six weeks. And everyone's like, oh yeah, but I could never dedicate six weeks like that. I'm like, do it over 18. They still don't do it. But what happened was because of that, I got promoted and then I started my own business. Fast forward just shy of a decade, I'd been responsible for five multi-million dollar businesses. But they were all bricks and mortar, tally marketing and direct sales businesses, right? So it was all about face-to-face contact. And for me, I mean, I, th- I thought online was kind of a joke. Like we were talking beforehand about all the different social medias and things like that. For me, I was scared of that because everything, and also my pride was attached to this face-to-face sales and things that I'd learned. So when I moved online, First thing, I saw social as like these people that just wanted to post photos of their donut for something to say. And I was like, I don't want to be that person. But here's what I learned. So when I moved to the US, I mean, in 2014, I didn't know a soul. And my wife, who's more introverted than me, had just moved from Florida into Austin as well. So we knew no one. A year later, I was invited to events as one of the most connected people in the city. And what I discovered is what happened in the offline world happened in the online world too. See, people can't articulate the value of what they provide to somebody who's politely listening in a networking room for three minutes. What chance do they have when somebody gives them fractions of a second in the social media feed? So what I've learned is if you can't be the clearest, you have to be the loudest, which is why you see all these people posting every day on Instagram and writing a blog post every week and posting a podcast episode every second day. It's because they've got this vanilla message that speaks to everybody with nothing that really connects and no passion. Well, if you're gonna do that, of course you've gotta be more relevant because you have to be everywhere every day. And I just went, no, that's not for me. But what I learned is if you knew your unified message, the rapid growth guy, you know your niche, introverted service providers, you know your stories and you know the things that you truly help with and you're completely congruent with saying, if you're outside that box, sure, you can reach out to me, but that's not really what I specialize in. By the way, 
Big billion dollar tech companies like Oracle, Intel, and Microsoft are reaching out to me at all the time to work with their team, even though I say from stage, I don't like working with them. I love introverted service providers. They still hire me because my message is the clearest and they see my passion and they want to borrow it. But then you think about it, podcast interviews. I'm on these all the time. I share my stories, I share my passion, and all of a sudden this goes global. People are sharing my message out on all these social media platforms. I don't have to do almost anything. I post a few images, I share a lot of videos now that we never did when I started, and people are now pushing my content out everywhere. So the truth is, networking in a real room is great to make sure you've got that message right, to make sure you've got your stories right. But the sooner you can get it on podcast interviews, get it on social media, get it in a digital world using technology, psychology, and strategy, absolutely, Johnny, you can get people to chase you from all over the world. So if you've got one or two people that are in your city that are your ideal customer, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure if I can make enough money out of them, well, there's two people just like that in every city globally. You're going to do just fine. As a matter of fact, you'll do amazingly well. Now, with that, obviously online comes with a lot of rejection, a lot of being ignored, a lot of data that can be tough for us to handle. Introverts in an in-person world try to avoid that rejection, and then we go online and we're getting it, and it's tough to handle. So what are your strategies for obviously chasing down those opportunities and knowing when an ignore or a no is a firm no? Well, the thing is that people see online exactly like they saw networking, and and even introverts now, because it's less painful, right, instead of walking around the room and getting rejected, we go and send 100 automated messages to people on LinkedIn that say, hey, do you want to buy from me? Do you want to buy from me? Of course we're going to get rejections. You're fostering no relationship. What I see is introverts decide that in this safe social media community, it's now we, we want to be more extroverted, so we start spamming people. That is not the key. Again, you've got to be clear. And again, it's about giving value. It's not about pitching. Networking is not about sales. So yes, if you treat it like transactional networking, if you treat it like a pitch fest, not only are you going to get rejections, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you kind of deserve it. Instead, if you step back and say, okay, what is my strategy? How am I going to reach out? Who do I want to reach out to? And how do I connect with them in a way that's meaningful? And how do I share my passion? then all of a sudden it becomes easy. And funnily enough, it's not just about, like everyone thinks, okay, I need to network online. Clearly that's LinkedIn, Instagram, and I'm just gonna send people direct messages. I mean, I've seen the profile on how many people. You guys have got an amazingly large audience. Now, of course, there are some extroverts that you might've tried to keep online for this episode that I hope that for your sake, they listened and got value out of this. But I know my tribe. So every conversation I'm having is sharing my passion and mission with my ideal audience. And think of the thousands upon thousands of people just this episode is allowing me to get in contact with. These days, introverts across the globe, I mean, Sure, this is a video one and obviously a very high quality production, but sometimes, I mean, I'm doing podcasts wearing my tracksuit pants unshaven from home, and after that I can go straight to to Netflix. Why is it that introverts find this hard? Well, the truth is, even on podcast interviews, they go on, and I don't know how many times I've seen podcast guests, hosts say at the start, can you please not pitch my audience? There'll be a time to talk about where people can find out more information. Why are they doing that? Because most people get online and go, my product, my product, my story, my product, my product. Everyone listening, go to this link and buy from me. No host wants that. It doesn't give value, but it also doesn't get them clients. I just I want to add to this and, and just reinforce something that you mentioned there. And we AJ and I can speak from experience with this. For as long as the art of charm has been around, and we're we're rolling into 15 years now, 
We've had a very clear defined message at the beginning of our career and sort of had lost that as we had grown, the company had grown, and we saw that in ourselves. And the work that we had done to sit down and to realign what that new message was going to be as a new older, mature company that's been around for a while and to see those cells come back in. And so just to point out that how important that message is and how not to discard it just to throw your product everywhere because it is not going to bring the interest as that mission and that passion certainly will. Oh, you're absolutely right. I think organizations all the time, you see big corporates do this. They're always real coming in and doing organizational realignment. Why is it that small businesses specifically, but even career professionals, they're like, I'm not happy with my job, so I'm just going to go and look for a new job. Any job will do. Why? It's terrible here. You're going to move to another job, and if you don't look at it clearly, you're going to go in. The grass isn't going to be greener. The first six months are going to be torture on you and your family as you relearn a new job, rebuild new relationships, and then you're going to get to the same point and go, my boss doesn't pay attention to me. They don't recognize me. Why? Because again, you haven't spoken about your passion and mission. You haven't found a job that'll allow you to pursue external or internal opportunities that'll allow you to follow that. I think that the, the thing that people forget is the key to success is not putting energy behind anything. You know, I think we live in this world right now where we're like, any form of action is good. So we go to all these networking events, we put out of a ton of content, but the truth is you can work really hard going backwards. So one of the things that, especially if you're just getting started, don't look at the success stories and copy what they're doing because you're looking again, like today, you go, oh, this person's clearly extroverted. I wish I could be like them, but I'm introverted. You're also looking at brands as they are today. You've got to look at where their origin was. I have a podcast called The Better Business Coach, and my entire focus was showing business coaches how to obtain rapid growth because that was my market. And once I succeeded, I built that momentum out and out and out. But if you look at my brand now, you're like, well, Matt's speaking to corporations. I saw him speak for Oracle the other day. He's also speaking to small business owners. He's on the Art of Charm, but then he's also on a finance podcast. He's too broad. Why is he saying that I have to go super niche, but he's now speaking to a larger community? And the answer is that there has been a years and years of growing my brand and growing my momentum to get myself to a point where I can get on podcasts like this. I mean, the first time I reached out to the Art of Charm, they said, yeah, Matt, we've heard of you, but not enough to put you on our show. Now they're like, oh yeah, well, you, you both reached out and said, yeah, it's a great fit. But that's because I built my brand, but also I had to get from this super niche brand to creating my brand to a point where it was good enough for a broader audience. So even some of these big deal shows, you can't get on. Like Natural Born Coaches was a great show for me when I first started. Now it's too small an audience. I want to be on the art of charm. So you've got to realize that there are certain things that make sense early that don't make sense later and vice versa. Well, Matthew, here's where we rope you in into our mission, which the Art of Charm's mission is to help people unlock their X factor so they can crush it in business, love, and life. And we believe that that X factor is a unique trait that you hold inside you that allows you to, to be unique and reach your goals. And so what we'd like to, to know is for you to tell our audience what your X factor is. I think my biggest X factor is not accepting the reality of the way the world presents it as the only option. You know, when I had a reading speed issue, and I, I think maybe I learned it from this, my, I got misdiagnosed as dyslexic, and then I found these glasses and miraculously I could learn to read. 
when I was selling, I mean, those 93 doors were torture the first day, you know, door after door rejection. And then at the end of that 93rd door, I remember I'd made $70 and I was ecstatic for like 45 seconds till I had my next realization of the day. I got to do this again tomorrow and the next day and the next. And I went, that is not okay. So what are my options? Now you think what most people would do, 18 of my 20 group of trainees quit. So there's flight or there's fight, which is what entrepreneurs love to talk about, that hustle mentality, I'll just grind it out. Well, for me, that would have meant 107 doors the next day, and then 48, and then 180. That was not okay. So I said, what if there was a way to do this? What if there was another road to success? And for me, that was, well, what if it was a system? How will I learn that system? I can't read, so picking up a book doesn't make sense. YouTube. It's always looking for that third option. I think if I was going to think, what was my X factor? I never, ever go, this is impossible. I always say the strategy I'm using is not working and I'm unwilling to hustle through that unless I find a smarter strategy. So then I go looking for a smarter strategy. That mindset has literally got me through everything in my life. It is the one key to my success. I absolutely love that. And thank you for sharing that with our audience, Matthew. My pleasure. Look, I I think that one of the biggest hurdles that I find, not just career professionals, entrepreneurs, I mean, everybody struggle with, is they say, here is who I am and here's why my life sucks. Or here's who I am and here's why it's more difficult for me than everyone else. And that then becomes the rule. For me, I say, here's who I am and here's why I'm not okay with that. And here are my advantages and here are my disadvantages. Now let's go find a system that makes sense. And you know, for me, it, it, it's, it's been involved in everything. For me, I wasn't that great with girls when I first, when I was younger. You know, I had acne written and even as I got older, I had you know, issues with self-confidence, but I picked up books and learned how to do that, right? I had a message, poor guy, you know, literally on Twitter the other day, a message sent out saying, I'm 46 and I've never had a girlfriend. Is that weird to you? And then I gave him some advice and directed him some books on how to, how to date. And then he sent, he wrote another message saying, but I'm 46 and it's weird. And I said, I've never said that. You've said it twice. So you have to ask yourself, who's the one limiting themselves, me or you? The thing that you've always got to come back to is we've got to get to this point where we take responsibility for our problems, but understand that these are moments in time. They're skills gaps, and that's it. And we need to work at how to fill these skills gaps, whether it's introversion, extroversion, you know, uncomfortability around women, or the fact that no one's recognizing me for all my work, or I don't know how to lead. Learn those skill sets. That's it. Love it. Uh, Matthew, really quickly, do you have a quick challenge for our listeners how they can re-envision their role in networking and maybe a challenge for them to help with that. Yeah, absolutely. So what I would really recommend to everybody is learn to introduce story into your networking, whether it's you know to inspire somebody that you deserve a job, whether it's to find a momentum partner. What I want you to do is think about what you're truly passionate about and what is the one problem that somebody had that you got to an amazing outcome, whether it was an employer or a, a client of yours. Learn how to tell that story, and not in a one-dimensional way, they wanted this so I gave it to them, but more like the story of how you, you met your husband or your wife. You know, this, it becomes this theatrical masterpiece after a period of time. There's these emotional triggers around how your lives changed. Learn to tell a story like that, and it's okay if it takes a couple of minutes to tell because you're speaking to their emotional mind, so they're engaged. Learn how to tell that story, practice it like an actor would. By the way, they all sound authentic and natural from camera too, right? Because they've practiced it and they've made it their own. Learn that story and then start changing the behavior of networking. Anytime you get a chance to tell that story, tell it and realize that you should get a chance in every conversation. Awesome. Thank you very much, Matthew. 
Did you enjoy this episode? Go ahead, take a screenshot, and tag us on social media at The Art of Charm. We love sharing all your favorite moments on our social media channels. And of course, if you have a question, you can go ahead and email us, questions at theartofcharm.com or DM us on social media at The Art of Charm, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, could you do us and the entire Art of Charm team a big favor? Head on over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast. It would really mean the world to us, and it helps others find this show. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery. And until next week, I'm Johnny. And I'm AJ. Have an epic weekend.